2005, this is the SFM Viewpoint with me, Songa Zomabekze. So great to be here, and what a weekend that was. All the living former heads of state and the sitting head of state had something to say about the head of state and the state of his administration. Where on earth have you ever seen such nonsense? Such nonsense. And these former heads of state, you invite them onto the platform. Can we please engage you on this, on this and the other, following them taking to a public platform to speak about issues? But they don't want to be engaged in a moderated platform where they can get the views of the public, where the public can engage them on their views. They want to control the space. They want to control the narrative. It really is appalling, frankly speaking. I have no issue at all if somebody feels so enraged as to take the platform as they have, bearing in mind the issues they would be talking to and the protocols associated with their respective offices. If they do do that, break rank from the office and what we have come to accept it holds in our society, which they have. Similarly, it is my view they should be willing and able, if not keen, to come onto these platforms, be engaged, not just by the radio talk show host, of course by him or her, but especially by the public, because they cannot be a situation where an individual has the opportunity to control a narrative without it ever being engaged. That's the issue I have. I appreciate the fact that President Zuma actually had a press conference and he took questions. I appreciate that. Perhaps on another day we should invite him, just as we will try to engage pro. President Mutlande, as we have, no success. And Beki, same thing, no success. But but we can't be engaged in this level of politics without being given an opportunity to engage them. Many of them would have legacies that we want to, even after the fact, engage, but cannot engage. But now we must be content with engaging them with a one-way account of their views without it potentially being put on the pedestal, moderated and engaged by the public. I really am betting for the public in that regard. But nonetheless, that's just my short frustration about the theatrics of the last week. And I call it the theatrics because I don't know if there's a country that has a situation of the kind that we explore, I mean, experienced a bigger part in this last weekend. That all said, the time is 2008, 24th of October. And our first conversation this evening is the role of enterprise and supply and development in driving black business development. The chairperson of the Black Management Forum, editorial committee, and a member of the Policy and Research Committee, Mr. Kumar Dube, is on the line immediately after this break. We will go straight through to him. 086-000-2032, that's the number to dial. 0614-104-107, that's the number to engage us on WhatsApp. The role of enterprise and supplier development in driving black business development. Specifically, if you are at a big company or if you are part of CSI or you are part of business development, wherever you may so be, but an office that nonetheless has impact on growing enterprise and supplier development in your organization, your thoughts on this topic and in this discussion most certainly would be appreciated. So let's have those thoughts coming through after the break. Mr. Kumar Dube. Nothing conventional on The Viewpoint. We are live. We are on SAFM. Mr. Kumar Dube, good evening. Good evening, Songez. Thank you for having me. Mr. Kumar Dube, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Songez. Excellent. Hello. How are you, sir? 
I'm very well in yourself. Very good. I've read your article, so take it from me that um, we can talk about the net effect of all the time and money we have spent on enterprise and supply development since '95. You argue yeah. is zero. According to the National Integrated Small Enterprise Development Master Plan, the number of SMMEs operating in our economy has not grown since 1995. Then we had some 800,000 SMMEs in our economy. In 2022, that number has not changed with only 330,000 of those able to provide formal employment. Now, this is your argument. So perhaps just give us a background so that we can also engage your thoughts relative to what we see, experience, and research. Sure. So quite simply, Songhezo, the role of enterprise and supplier development programs, all the money and the time that we've spent on these, was to achieve two things in my view. One is to create an equality of opportunity for black entrepreneurs to be successful and to build businesses and therefore participate in the economy. That being to drive transformation of the economy. And the second was that we are understood small businesses as quite strategic to our development objectives. And one of the big and some of the big challenges that we face are job creation, uh, unemployment, poverty and inequality. And SMMEs were meant to play a quite a crucial role in being able to address some of these. Now, if all of that, what we've done since 1995, the dawn of our democracy, towards trying to achieve this under this element of the Broad Police Black Economic Empowerment Act, is that SMMEs have grown, and there could be a number of reasons for that. Um, and I argue that the other is that this just isn't an entrepreneurial infrastructure in SA, so the ESP programs that we have spent money on haven't been able to deliver that for them to grow and for new SMMEs to be developed to play these crucial roles that they are meant to play in creating an equality of an opportunity and also to help us deal with some of these key socioeconomic challenges that we face, that being unemployment, poverty, and inequality. And so that's just the basic premise, is that we understand what was meant to be achieved with this element of the PE Act. We understand the strategic importance of SMMEs. And if our measure of success is that that sector should be growing because of these programs, or the net effect of all of that, according to the Department of Small Business in their, in their National Integrated Strategy, is that it is zero from 1995 up until now. And perhaps that's where the answer lies for why we have such a stubborn unemployment that we're unable to lift uh, people out of poverty at the rate in which we need to and unable to quite adequately address the inequality problem that we have. Let's talk about something that you made reference to earlier on about the entrepreneurial infrastructure. What do you mean by that? Because I would have thought for whatever reason I would have thought that, I would have thought perhaps we don't have an entrepreneurial culture or we have an entrepreneurial culture, we have an entrepreneurial infrastructure, but between these two dispositions, there is a mismatch or misalignment. Elaborate on the lack of infrastructure for entrepreneurs, please. Sure. So I, I don't believe that South Africans and Africans in general lack entrepreneurial enterprise. I don't believe that argument at mm, all. Mm. What I think, what I, because we are an enterprising people, we see it in our communities. 
What I think is that the infrastructure is not in place, and I can break down what I mean by that. And I, I give some reference in, in the article as to what I mean by uh, by the entrepreneurial infrastructure. So easy access to grants and financial and financial support for these businesses. An economy that allows for small players to be able to compete. Um, and, and then that is, of course, based on what kind of policies um, are, are, are in place. ESD programs that are also based on outcomes and not inputs. Now, give a quick example of that. We measure whether or not a corporate is meeting the requirements of the DE Act based on how much money they, they spend. And so they budget that in and they distribute that in the way in which they see fit in order to drive or in order to gain the points for, for ESD under the BE scorecard. But we're not measuring outcomes. Right? And once we begin to measure outcomes, we are then able to say what is it that we need to do over and above spending the money to make sure that the right things are in place for SMEs to survive. Classic example of where this was done right is in Singapore, where the focus was around that infrastructure. How do we make SMEs successful and make it easy for people to follow their entrepreneurial dreams rather than asking the question, how much do we need to spend to be compliant? Singapore is a great example. How much do you make of the fact that, I just forget the name now, Q1, their leader for three decades. How much do you make of the fact that they had that one leader for that long at a time where when Singapore won her independence and sort of this fellow, I just forget his name, I'm going to remember the name just now, won the mandate to govern that society they pretty much were starting at a zero base. They had a national contract as a people of what was required for them to do whatever was required for them to do to move from A to A plus, if you like. Contrast that with South Africa that has democratic elections every five years, yes, but the leader, the national leader, has to change after every five years. He might return once, which makes it Mm. 10 years in total. I'm giving you the long preface. Here's why I'm asking this. There was a time where I interviewed the late Dennis Goldberg, 2019, in fact, sometime in July of that year. And he had suggested to me that South Africa needs a benevolent dictator. The political infrastructure, the political arrangement, the strength of our politics, or lack of, if this last weekend is anything to go by, how much of that eats into this infrastructure that you say is necessary to create the environment for the existing entrepreneurs and their culture, spirit, and fortitude to thrive? Mm-hmm. Look, I think the one key lesson that we can learn from, from, from Singapore is not, uh, or the key to success, is not necessarily in the fact that they had a leader for so long, but the fact that what we can learn in a democratic dispensation where leaders change every five years or where they're supposed to change every five years is that there needs to be a clarity of vision clarity of vision that unifies us all and if we have that we can replicate some of the success of what may be argued can be achieved under a benevolent dictator right so the one key characteristic there i think that we can take away from these examples is that there needs to be clarity as to what we need to achieve and what it's going to take to get there. Now, we may have different priorities, and leaders may have different priorities every five years as they come into office, but we're all on the same page as to where we're going. 
And I think a part of the of, of the issue, and I think it was a, uh, a conversation I was having earlier on, so if I might digress just for a moment to make the point, was at the dawn of democracy in 1994, uh, and one of the panels in our BMF conference is about whether or not South Africa can start over. The key question is that when we when we entered into democracy, we went down a certain path. Right? Now, the argument can be starting over means that the path that we went on was the wrong path, or that that was the right path, but things went wrong along the way. And the answer to that question may be quite an indicator as to what needs to be done for us, either to start over or to reimagine this vision that we can all buy into. And in order to be able to build an infrastructure, whether political or entrepreneurial, or even socioeconomic, in order to be able to achieve to achieve our objectives and stay true to that infrastructure, even though we may agree on what to prioritize when. And I think if we can achieve that, then we can replicate some of that success without necessarily going down the route of the benevolent dictator or somebody being in office for too long. Do you have an issue with the benevolent dictator proposal? If so, what is the issue with it? I find it to be a slippery slope. Right? I find it to be a slippery slope in the sense that you either die a hero or live long enough to be a villain. Okay. Let's talk about the role of government. Yeah. Public procurement in any society amounts to, depending on the society and the research that I've conducted and many in my field do, anything between 20 and it can be as high as 40 to 45 percent of national expenditure is public procurement. The GDP of a nation goes through public procurement. In other words, the state is the single biggest buyer in any one country. In other words, the budget controlled by the Minister of Finance as well as all the entities who get their appropriations, budgets from the Ministry of Finance. In a South Africa context, it's anything between 20 to 40%. How do we then the rules of how that money should be distributed is one thing. But what should inform the basis of the state's plan to engage its money from a buying perspective in terms of developing these SMMEs? And with your response, perhaps contemplate the role and success or failure of triple BEE legislation, Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment Act, the Competition Act to an extent, as well as the framework of procurement legislation, in particular the, the triple PFA, preferential policy proc, preferential procurement policy framework act. These instruments, how should they, if you're talking about infrastructure, soft infrastructure but nonetheless legal instruments, how should that ensure SMME development and throughput? It's a loaded question. And one of the arguments that we've been making as the BMF for quite a while a long time is that government itself is not leveraging its buying power enough in order to be able to drive our transformation objectives forward. Right? So that's the first thing, that even though they do have all of this buying power, they're just not leveraging it enough within the existing framework, let alone the fact that we think that quite a bit of the framework needs to be amended in order for us to be able to achieve our objectives. They're not doing enough within the existing framework in order to drive our transformation objectives. The second is that the framework needs to make sense. Right? You can't have one set of laws requiring one thing and then another, which might be an overarching framework that the triple PFA 
the triple PFA, overriding their objectives of a piece of legislation aimed at driving socioeconomic transformation. So our, even our framework, the pieces, the small puzzle pieces within it, are speaking or are working at odds with, with one another in some instances. So there needs to be an alignment of those, of those frameworks. And we will certainly talk about that. I think, you, you know, we are sort of moving into a very critical aspect, which probably needs a little bit more time. Yeah. Government's plan in sorting out the myriad of issues surrounding procurement. I mean, everything about Zondo ultimately at its thesis was about procurement and how its rules were simply just compromised, if not just downright corrupted by those in power. We will have that conversation because I have personal questions to engage the Ministry of Finance now Godongwana's administration before him, Bowen, is about the status of the Public Procurement Act, which should now really be looking to align these instruments that you've made mention of. But specifically with what you have, what remains our biggest stumbling block? Answer this question, please, if you will, against ESD programs that should exist both in the public and private sector. Against our biggest obstacle against the stumbling block is... How you wait, how you make a procurement decision, I think doesn't favor your objective that we're trying to achieve. Now, I'll give you a simple example. When you're doing for procurement, you've got 80% on price and 20% on your transformation objectives, mm. for instance. Mm. Right? Now, 80% on price will favor the market incumbents. They've got economies of scale. They are able to charge much less than what an entrepreneur who's just starting up is able to regardless of the fact that they may be also be able to deliver on the job um, in a satisfactory manner. And therefore, you are always going to have a situation where the market incumbents just need to meet a certain threshold in terms of their transformation performance or their BEE performance and will always win out in terms of those. In that sense, the market incumbents get the contract, government can tick the box that they have aligned themselves to the instruments as they are, and have really spent the money appropriately from a BEE perspective. And we're having this conversation and making this example, of course, discounting the fact that there's quite a bit of corruption within the system mm, as, mm. as well, which also is a big stumbling block towards our transformation objectives. It also doesn't help when that money is spent towards developing new entrants into the market or emerging entrepreneurs, that, that then, then that process is then decided upon in ways that are corrupt, in ways that are irregular, in ways that are illegal, that undermines the objectives, that undermines the spirit of, of, of the act. So corruption is a big issue in, in, in us being able to do this. The lack of accountability is an issue in, in, in allowing us to be able to achieve these objectives. Mm. But the instruments as they are right now are skewed or are easily gained by market incumbents. And so it makes it very difficult for, for emerging black entrepreneurs to compete particularly um, when they don't have the kind of the economies of scale that the big businesses have, the, the team that the businesses have who are willing to take, um, who, who are able and willing to take a haircut on the margin mm. just to secure the contract. Mm. I'm interested to know if you at home are a business owner, a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner. If I were to ask you, what is your biggest challenge for the growth you foresee for your business or the growth that you had hoped your business would experience, what has become a challenge to that growth? In other words, what prevents your small to medium enterprise from growing? 
growing your revenue, growing your profits, growing your operations, growing your human capital, growth, however you define it, what limits your growth, what what stunts your growth as a small business owner or one who participates in the space? What are your views on the convers- in the conversation rather that my guest, Mr. Kumar Dube, and I are engaging? He's the chairperson of the BMF's editorial committee and a member of the policy and research committee. We're talking about the role of enterprise and supply development in driving black business development. And perhaps if we say business development, I would also wish for those who are in business development, not necessarily black business development, our white counterparts, if you will, to participate in these conversations, and especially for them to express their misgivings about this framework that on the face of it at least looks to keep them away or at least does not benefit them as much as it otherwise could by virtue of the skin color of the majority shareholding in that company. We're taking calls, 086-000-2032. Voice notes, please keep them under a minute, 0614 104-107. After the break, we return with Mr. Kumar Dube, and I understand we have Aisha on the line immediately after the break. on SAFM. Let's go to Aisha. Aisha, good evening. Good evening, Songezo. He raised a fundamental point there. When he's speaking about legislation, the one cancelling the other. Yep. Spot on. And, and and not just in the business, across the board. That must be addressed. But then you need to put literate people there in Parliament. Okay. That's all that, that I wanted to say. Wow. Asha. Aisha spitting fire there. Ah, somebody who I thought had disappeared with COVID. He's back and I'm sure he's raring to go comes from Newlands, everybody all at once. His name is Mike. You got it. Mike, good evening. Hi, so good evening to you and good evening to your guests. Welcome um, back, Mike. Good evening, Mike. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Good evening to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, listen, first of all, I just have to say this, and uh, forgive me for it, but, you know, Helen Zilla took a real rocket when she came back from Singapore saying what a model, that it's a country we could use as a model. Uh, there were certain aspects of the Singapore business model that we could make use of, and, of course, she was shot down in flames. So I, I'm very pleased to see that we are now talking about Singapore as, as and some of the uh, as, as a business model that we could maybe adapt to our, our country. The other thing I just want to say is that um, I so disagree with this trying to divide up a small cake. The, the first thing we need to do as a country is to enlarge the cake. We're going around in circles with this transformation policy because it's not ultimately going to work. This can de- demonstrate that to us that it's just a nonsense. And I particularly remember Tula, 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 sorry, Tula Madoncella when she said... Tula um, Madoncella. Tula Madoncella, yes. So she, she made the point that um, it's not doing uh, black progress any favours. I, I forget the exact word she used, but essentially she wasn't in favour of it, I think for the same reason I am. And that is that it tends to uh, give too much weight to a person of skin colour with a different skill gun to everybody else, and he must be given a second chance. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that in the real world. We all need to stand by our product, and we all need to make an effort. And people will be in business generally always, and now that's my experience, is that business is here to make a profit. 
a business like mine, and I was in business for 35 years, the, the, the color of the person's skin was the least of my concern. My concern was, can you do the job and can I make a profit? And that really was my only concern, and that is still the concern of business today. This transformation is not doing our country any favors, and I think we just need to grow our country, Mike. and that to do that, business model must change. Thanks very no, much. No, wait, 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 because I oh, think sorry, there, sorry, there, there are two issues potentially you are conflating here. Mm. To the extent that you're talking about the government framework modeling to the extent possible what, what happens in, open, close quote, the real world, as you have suggested, mm. perhaps mm. I might not fault you for that because, frankly speaking, when I use my own money, I engage business principles, as perhaps I might in terms of spreading my money to where black business is. But I'm not mm. trying to compromise the quality of the value for money question. I accept mm. it. But why do you then say, because... The, 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 the state's arrangement as it currently is, is not applying those bin- business principles, why do you jettison with the transformation objectives? Are these two not mutually exclusive? By that I mean, is transformation not, in the context of the South African society we are, coming from where we are coming from, ideally supposed to be going where we are supposed to go, is transformation not fundamental to the success of the society, but perhaps re-engaging the question of the how, but not jettisoning altogether the transformation that no, is required? No. Yeah, so I think we're off on the wrong foot in this country. I, I, hear, I hear your question, and I think I certainly think I understand it. Yes. First of all, well, generally speaking, if you're black in this country, you've got a very poor chance of making any progress because we started with a shockingly uh, dis- dysfunctional education system. Unless you went to a Model C school or a private school, and you went, and if you went to a black, just a generally ANC black school, you're off to a poor start. And the fact of the matter is, um, we can try and transform as much as we can. I don't have a problem with it per se, because I understand the reason. I understand that we sat with a pie set for all these years, and yes, I understand the injustice of it all. But the fact of the matter is, business economics is never going to change. Discom will ultimately have to go back to business pr- business practices, which will mean the best person for the job, or they will pay the fine twice, and then they will simply shut up shop and disappear. So, I, 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 yes, I, I understand the reason, but I think we're going about it the wrong way. The only way, sadly, to correct the injustices of the past is to grow our economy, not reduce it by size. And that is what we are doing in South Africa at the moment. We are ensuring people do not invest in South Africa. They're scared of this transformation, and foreign countries simply do not understand. In fact, if anything else, some of the bigger countries won't come here because they consider it a very racist policy. They don't understand. You. You know, they don't understand the fact that you've got to put in a black person into this position. They go, no, 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 no. Well, that's not a way we operate. We put in the best person for the job. And unfortunately, South Africa just, oh, sorry, South Africa, the ANC just can't seem to get their heads around that one. Appreciate your thoughts there, Mike in Newlands. Sure. Stay on the line, please, Mr. Kumar Dube, chairperson of the BMF's editorial committee and a member of the Policy and Research Committee. I do have two voice notes that I propose to play now before rounding off con- contributions rather from the listeners. Two voice notes, please. Good evening, Songezo. Good evening, my brother. Ralphie in Cape Town. What a good topic you open tonight. But I know where you are, things are rumbling, my brother. You know, there's one thing I noticed from my own 
experience and I want to highlight this. They say when it comes to struggling, never die. But there's one point I want to highlight, Songhez. We as small businesses will, will never thrive because as government employees, they've got their own companies. So things will never come out to the citizens of the public. Thank you. Uh, Molopotsong, yes. I strongly believe that we as black people must support our own businesses and we must do so aggressively and unapologetically. That is where we will find funding. That is where we will find the support, advice, criticism that we need. But we need to support our businesses with our money and with generally our support. That is what is going to help us to grow as black businesses and we must be unapologetic about it. Bulelan Languza from Zastro. Hi, Swingy with Pume from Cape Town. Uh, you know, what's tricky about uh, BEE is um, you also have to be look at what it is exactly, you know, um, and just use an example. If you don't have a roof over your head and you need a house built, you likely don't care too much as to who actually builds it. And so depending on where your economic status is within the country, you will likely care about certain things and not so much about others. And I think that's where it actually makes it tricky because I think a lot of these discussions, they look at it from the perspective of the business person, the SME and, and so forth. And they don't look at the end person, the person who's supposed to receive those services from government, uh, the person that is supposed to receive the house or have the electricity connected. Um, yeah, and so it does actually make it uh, very interesting in that you have to balance balance the delivery and uh, transformation. Those are the listeners. We have one more listener on the line from the Eastern Cape. Babu Dumile, Babu Dumile, how are you? Very good. I will try to be a bit brief, but first sure. I want to just answer, you know, uh, to to Mike. You know, I think it's clear that Mike doesn't believe blacks can do good comments. Uh, I'm sure you, you could pick that up, even though he's trying to be diplomatic. But besides that, I think my point is that, you know, uh, we black people, we let ourselves down to a point where we have now even started to to not believe in our own selves. You know, this thing of business for a car, it's, it's actually has done us a, a very bad favor. To an extent, you have now people like Mike who can call very proudly to say, no, black people can't do business, simply because the black administration of government has messed up. First of all, by the policies they set up, some of these policies don't speak to the real nature of what a black man as a business starting up is supposed to come up with. I mean, things of shortages and all these kind of things. These are all things that are, are finding us really in the, in, in, in the wrong footing. And to top that, you know, psychologically, the black people come from a, 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 bad, a bad spot. And we seem to forget that at times that a, a person is not just a person by academics. You are who you are because of also the psychology, and that matters a lot. And we, we really tend to overlook it. And I think for us, in closing, I would say we need to work with each other as black people. First of all, motivate each other. You know, it's like having a soccer team. You can have good players, but if you can't motivate them well, 
you end up being a bad coach, you know. And that's, I think, where we are missing it. We need to speak to ourselves as black people to run a stake that has a class and pride, not this thing where we are just running dirty government. Because now we're giving white people room to speak that, you know, and it, it's really not good, you know. So uh, it, it, it's something we need to fix. That's all I wanted to say. Very well. Thank you so much, Budumile. Thank you so much for Thanks, your guys. thoughts. And um, just for now, we're going to go back to Mr. Kumar Dube to close off this segment. We initiated it by asking the question or inviting people to breathe on the role of enterprise and supply development in driving black business development. Kuma has his final say now. No, thank you, Songezo, and thank you to the listeners who've, who've called in and sent in voice notes um, to express their views on this issue. I, I think in closing, I'd like to say is that fundamentally what the EE is meant to address and to achieve is is this problem that all things being equal if you and i so let's say i'm a white business and you're a black business if we're able to deliver right and that is not in question chances are the one of us who is a white business will have more market opportunities than the one that is a black business and part of the role of these esd programs is about also addressing those capacity issues where they may exist within the black businesses that can fit into the value chains of these large corporates or can form part of the supply chains of these of all of these large corporates that, that they are participating in these programs with right and i say that because there's always this debate when when the BE question comes up about whether or not does that not come at the expense of delivery or does that come at the expense of capacity the BMS position on this is quite clear in the sense that the capacity exists. The problem is that what lacks is an equality of opportunity. And the way in which BEE should be implemented is by creating that equality of opportunity. Not just for black entrepreneurs, but for black managers who are often overlooked, not because they can't do their job, but because they don't play golf with the, bo- with the bosses on the weekends or aren't getting involved to bribe and things of that nature. The cultural issues, the systemic things that are underneath the surface that we are unable to see with the, with, with the naked eye. And so we fought some of this change through legislation like the Black Economic Empowerment, the Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment Act. Right? So the capacity question really only ever comes up when we have to insist on some of these objectives being achieved on some of these programs being implemented and money being spent in order to do so, to mentor, to, to, to build capacity, to support, and, 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 to, and to use black-owned businesses and to promote black managers who paid the school fees, right? who paid the school fees and shown that they can, they can perform in those positions but are still overlooked for some of these soft issues. I have a minute remaining left of this conversation, and I really need to ask this question. You are the Minister of Trade and Industry and Competition, or small business. In fact, small business is the the, the ministry. What are your top three priorities? You've got less than a minute. What are your top three priorities to put us back on course? You're the Minister of Small Business. Minister of Small Business, our first priority is to fix the ecosystems around ESD programs, the relationship between entrepreneur corporate and intermediary. These need to be more biased to the entrepreneur rather than to the corporate's compliance scorecard and to the intermediaries making money in, in, in between. 
My second issue is to really reevaluate how we measure success as a department. It's not about how much money we spend, it's about the outcomes that we achieve. And make sure my entire department is on board with that and everybody's willing to work towards that. My third is to get more money from the president in order to be able to truly reflect that small businesses are as strategic as we often hear every year in the State of the Nation address to the growth of our economy. Because that's what transformation... I'm going to have to leave it there, Kuma. I have no time left, unfortunately. Chairperson of the BMF's editorial committee, that was Mr. Kuma Dube. Thank you, everybody, for your contributions for this segment.